Welcome to the All People Podcast, where we talk all people all the time. I'm your host, Elisa Southall. My goal is to improve Canada and employee experiences, as well as company cultures throughout U.S. employers. We do this by leading with empathy, diversity, inclusion, equality, teamwork, and transparency. Come on this journey with me. Hey, everyone. I'm Elisa Southall, and I'm here with Emily Marash, and um, she deals with mindful communication. Um, and so I'd love for you to introduce yourself, Emily, and tell us what you do. Hello. Good morning, Elisa. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, yes, my name is Emily Morash, and I... Um, I, oh, I'm never good at this. What do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I usually make a mess. Um, but I, <laughs> I work with companies and teams to help people become a little bit more mindful um, so that leaders can effectively lead teams and teams can more effectively be cohesive. And mindfulness kind of has this like woo woo feel to it, which it's really not. It's actually about being present and being cognizant of other people. It's really about self-awareness and social awareness. So I, I always joke and say, I teach people how to be nice to each other, (laughs) but I really do work with leaders and teams to make work life and productivity more effective. I also make this. So that's kind of (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. And if you, if anybody has the privilege of going to one of Emily Marash's mindfulness communication and five chairs presentation, highly recommend it. I've been to two um, and they were fantastic. So get a ticket now if there's one available, but in that presentation, which you sort of uh, got permission from Louise Evans to use that five chairs model. um, You know, you, you talk a lot about the different sort of chairs of communication Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what those are and why they're important in the, in the training that you do? Oh, sure. So the, the, there's a book that was written by Louise Evans. Um, but if people out there are not familiar with her, please familiarize yourself with her. She's amazing and she's brilliant. And she wrote, wrote a book called five chairs, five choices. And what she illustrates with those chairs in her book is we have various responses, emotional responses to whatever kind of stimuli. And so each chair, each color chair represents a choice. So there's the red chair, which is kind of a shame and blame chair. Then there's the yellow chair, which is also shame and blame, but it's internal. It's where we really kind of self-flagellate. There's the green chair, which is the weight and kind of figure out what's actually happening here. The blue chair is more about boundary setting and what my needs are. And the purple chair is empathy and and what others need. And so the, when I do these trainings um, and really what Louise is, is getting across is that we have options and choices in how we behave. The sticky part of this is that human beings are emotional before they're logical. And so, which, I mean, it's just how we're wired. It's a survival thing, actually. It's where, you know, we're very fight or flight. Um, And a lot of times we react instead of respond. And those reactions are a lot of times that red and yellow chairs, those red and yellow chairs where we are having knee-jerk emotional reactions to whatever kind of stimulus we're experiencing in that moment. 
And the mindfulness piece that I talk about is, can you catch yourself before you jump into that red chair or that yellow chair and, and actually determine what's happening? Are you reacting from gut insecurity or are you actually reading this situation correctly? Um, and so that's the five chairs piece really does speak to owning our behaviors when we're responding or reacting to a particular situation. And when I talk about this with leaders and teams, we also, so along with being emotional before we're logical, um, we also have, everybody does it, it. It's, this is just innate. We're all very insecure. We're all fearful of judgment. We're, um, we're all, a lot of us are trying to prove ourselves in the workplace. And so when we interpret something as being, um, critical or, uh, there's a disagreement or there's conflict, a lot of times we have these gut reactions, which can be very red chair. Um, why are you questioning me? You don't know what I know. I mean, that's right. Or we go to the yellow chair, which is very much like, oh my God, they think I'm stupid. And I guess I am stupid. And I don't know why I made that decision. Instead of really figuring out mindfully, what what are they actually asking? Or what I should probably find out more about what their comment really means. and. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't do that. Um, and it's not because we are, um, you know, rude people. It's because we get into this habit of behavior. And so mindfulness is all about getting out of rote um, habit and actually calling yourself out. Am I interpreting this correctly? Why do I think what I think? And is it correct? And am I reading this person correctly? So that's really what the five chairs hmm. are all about. And, um, and again, the book is five chairs, five choices. And Louise Evans is the author. She's brilliant. So y'all go get the book. You can get it on Amazon. And I'll drop the links for that. And her, she did a TED <laughs> talk on the whole chair. Thank thing. you. I'll drop that in the, in the notes as well. Good. Um, so when we look at the mindfulness communication, one thing that stood out for me is on your website, you talk about how leadership requires connection and engagement. Mm -hmm. yep. Can you talk more about how that works for you? So there's this sort of confusion about what leadership actually is. And, and, you know, we see, see these memes everywhere where it's like management, here's a manager is a boss and he's telling people what to do. And leaders are like pulling them along. And I'm like, eh, like maybe, but you got to have both. Right. So managing, you manage tasks, not people. You influence and persuade people. So good leaders are able to persuade and influence people to do the things that those people were hired to do. And so bad leaders are, they don't really know how to persuade and manage and they try to manage by fear. And so, which kind of works for a little while, but then you have people that are like, I'm out. I can't, like people don't want to work in that. It's toxic environment. This is where we get toxic cultures. So connection and engagement is very much, okay, I work with Elisa. What makes her tick? What's her communication style? I rely heavily on DISC. Um, some people don't. They like Enneagrams. They like strengths finders. They're all different and they all prove different things. But what you've got to do is kind of go into who is this person and what makes them tick? Why are they working here? What do they want to learn? What do they have to offer? What's their skill set? And how can I best strategize 
my communication and approach so that this person feels good, secure, safe, like they're doing a good job, that I can train them to to get to where they want to be so that they go off and do the things that we've hired them to do well. Mm -hmm. And so when we use fear tactics, like if you don't get your job done, you're going to get fired. People no longer feel safe. And we know from numerous psychological evaluations and assessments in the workplace that when people don't feel like they're safe and secure in their role, they start looking and they want to leave. And that's extremely expensive for companies. Um, And it makes people feel like crap. And if you go on Glassdoor, and I just want to throw this out there because we're in this place where companies are like, we're going to lay off 20% of our workforce. Eh, Like it's not a thing. We watch morale go down the toilet. And then we watch all the Glassdoor um, comments are all terrible. And we also know that human beings, if you go on Yelp, you're going to find more negative than you will positive because people are much happier talking about their bad experience than their good experience. But seriously, when we look on LinkedIn and we look on Glassdoor at um, employee evaluations of their companies, those companies that just decide we're going to lay off whatever, and you've got people that no longer feel safe, they no longer feel secure, they walk out the door. And so when leaders don't engage and connect on a human level with the people that work for them, they're really doing the the employees a disservice, certainly, but they're doing themselves a disservice and they're really doing a disservice for the company. And if, they're, if they want to be competitive in the workspace, you want to keep your, your workforce happy, healthy, and intact so that you're not having that turnover. And that's what that engagement is all about. And, and in order to do that, you have to be empathetic and there has to be some compassion and empathy in the way that leaders lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, empathy and is one of the things that's my values here at A People Partner, because honestly, without empathy, right, we just can't lead effectively. We have to understand people. We have to be empathetic for them. And one of the things about those five chairs is, right, you, we end up leaving saying like, I sit in the in the purple chair and we, you know, we talk about that often about how we sit in a particular chair during most of our conversations. And I'm sure it's very eye opening to leaders to sort of have that perspective sort of flipped on them. And an article that I was looking at in Forbes, um, it's by a woman named um, Melinda Fotis or Foots, I guess. Um, she talked about how um, competency of emotional intelligence is interpersonal communication. So that's really what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And you know, she gives sort of some some ways to improve it. So she talks about being present and that's with being present with others, being present in your silence mm-hmm. and being present with yourself. Um, and so you hit on a lot of those topics, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, the, the big thing when I talk about empathy with people is it actually starts with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's difficult to be socially aware if you are not at first self-aware. And so understanding and self-awareness is all about understanding your own triggers and your own, um, how you tick, how do people make you feel and why? And I always say to people like, you ever meet somebody for the first time and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this. That's how I felt about you. (laughs) When we first (laughs) met, I was like, ah, she's adorable. And, um, but you have this moment where you're like, well, I really like this person and you can't put your finger on it, but it's just how you jive with somebody, right? And then there are those people that you meet for the first time and you're like, you know what? 
you can stay over there and I'm going to stay over here. And, but we have to be very cognizant and curious about why did that person make me feel that way? What is it about this interaction that we've had that makes me feel either very comfortable or not comfortable? And then understanding why we feel the way we feel without judgment, because it's not about judgment. It just is right? There are certain types of people that make you feel comfortable and certain types of people that don't. And you just have to acknowledge that that is what it is. Right. When you get to that place where you understand, like, so as an example, I used to be in nonprofit fundraising for a really long time. And, um, and I don't mind fundraising. I don't mind asking for money for a cause that I feel very passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I know that we're doing good work. But the salesy feel that I had at a couple of the places where I worked, where they were just, it wasn't really about the mission. It was more about the money. That was hard for me. And it took me a long time to figure out, I feel like a fraud mm. when I'm not, when I feel like the mission isn't actually at the forefront and we're talking more about the money that feels fraudulent to me. It feels very like slimy salesy to me and I'm not good at it because it was weird to me that I was like, but I'm really good at fundraising. I don't understand why I'm having a hard time. And then coming into that self-awareness going, oh, it's this. It's this mm -hmm. piece that doesn't make me feel good. And so therefore I just stopped working in places that had this very salesy feel. And so from there, I was able to, I guess- kind of carve out a niche. Well, and now that it's just doesn't matter because I'm not doing fundraising anymore and I'm over <laughs> here in this different field. But um, but even in this different field, when I'm talking to people, I have to make sure that I'm very comfortable with what I am saying and that's rooted in evidence. And so that self-awareness piece allows me to be like, okay, I know me very well. So now I have space where I can hold other people in grace, right? So like understanding other people. And that's the root of empathy is being able to listen and understand. And I talked about this in the last workshop that you were in, um, where we, we have historically said that empathy is being able to walk in somebody else's shoes. And um, there's a fundamental flaw in that argument. And that is that I actually am not capable of walking in somebody else's shoes. Like I could never, I could never genuinely place myself into the shoes of a black man mm -hmm. or of a, a Latina woman or of a transgender. And I, because that's not my space. So empathy is actually not being able to walk in somebody else's shoes because it's not actually possible. And when we do that, when we when we try to walk in somebody else's shoes, it's usually through a lens of pity or even disdain. So, and those two things, pity and disdain, there's no room in empathy for those two things. In fact, those are the antithesis of empathy. So empathy is actually being able to listen to somebody's story and experiences and believing them, even if it makes no sense to you, if it makes no sense to your reality and your experiences, believing somebody is where empathy lives. That's incredible. I remember you talking about that. And I remember thinking that then too. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about it, but in terms of mindful communication, you know, why do you feel like it's important that leaders put this at the forefront? Yeah. So for a, a multitude of reasons, um, 
we have to remember that leaders are in positions of power and um, whether they think they are or not. And it's what's really funny. And this is kind of a little aside when I do these workshops with leaders and I'll say, okay, so raise your hand if you're in a position of power. And like three people will raise their hands. And I'm like, okay, who here has people who report to them or who here oversees projects? And then like everybody's hands go up. I'm like, guess what? You all are in positions of power. You're thinking like ultimate power. Like mm-hmm. you make, you call all the shots. And that's not what I mean. People who who have employees that roll up to them are in positions of power, whether they believe it or not. And in that, there is a fear. And even if, even if these leaders don't practice the power over, you know, like coercion and force, they're still like, oh, that's my boss. Like, I don't want to upset my boss. And there's that feeling of inferiority. And it's a lot of times it's a subconscious thing, but it's still there. So having that mindful communication, which means, so for people who are like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, oh, can I say that on a podcast? Yeah, you can say that. Um, (laughs) What the heck are you talking about, Emily? Um, Mindful communication is, do you know who you're talking to? So like, If I have, and actually I have a colleague um, who is very introverted, unbelievably like brilliant, very introverted and doesn't, when we're sitting in meetings, doesn't necessarily offer up ideas. Um, But I know that this person, like all those wheels are turning and there's all sorts of ideas that are, that are churning in that person's brain. But I also know that they're not just going to be like, oh, I have a thought and idea in the middle of this meeting. I need to go afterwards and say, hmm, what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. If I do that in the middle of the meeting, I'm not going to get anything. That person's going to feel called out. They're also going to feel very um, insecure and like in the spotlight and they're going to shut down on me. That's being mindful. I am fully aware that that person is not a public speaker. They're not interested, but I also know they're brilliant. So if I go after the meeting and say, what are your thoughts on this? And I gather those thoughts, I can then share that out to the group. And so that is mindful communication. Leaders fall down a lot when they expect everybody to be like them. And this is the other thing about human behavior is that We unconsciously, this is not a thing that we don't often think about how we think, but that's part of what mindfulness is, is how do you think what you think and why are you thinking it that way? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have this notion that everybody thinks the same way we do. Everybody makes decisions the same way we do. And if they don't, they're weird, right? Why don't you just, everyone ever say that, right? Why don't you just do whatever? And it's like, cause that's not how they function. And so when we shift into a mindfulness space, it is, oh, wait, you behave very differently than I do. I'm going to honor it. I'm going to respect it. I'm going to figure out, especially as a leader, I'm going to figure out how to leverage that. Mm-hmm. So that, so like my colleague, who's very introverted and shy, and I believe, actually, I don't believe, I know that there are some neurodiversities there. And so I need to honor and respect that so that I know this person's brilliant. I'm going to get the information. It's just not going to be right here, right now. And if I am an impatient person who's mindless in these situations, I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to call somebody out and then I'd be like, you just don't perform, right? which is inaccurate. And we see that a lot. 
um, with leaders that are not very mindful of the people that work with them. And we also see leaders that expect other people to rise up, and I use air quotes there, to the level that those leaders expect them to. And I'm always like, yeah, but by whose standards? Like yours? And what are your standards based on? Your own behavior and comfort level? That's not how leadership works. Leadership is who are you? What's your brilliance? What are your skills? What do we need from you? And then how do I, as the leader, shift my approach to meet you where you are so I can actually, one, get the best work from you while you're here and make sure that you are feeling secure enough so you continue to perform? So that's why that that connection piece is so important and that it, that mindful communication is so necessary. Mm-hmm. And it is the slowing down, figuring out the people that work for you. How are they different than you? And then how can you shift into what they need? That's incredible. And one of the things I'll say is, you know, in starting my own business, I always talk about how eventually I want to have employees one day, right? And people are like, oh, like, what kind of employees do you want? I'm like, people that are nothing like me. And they're like, what? And I was mm-hmm. like, I want people who are going to challenge me every day that they work for me because I can't come up with new, brilliant, innovative ideas. If everybody's just thinking the same way I think. I need them to say like, well, what about this? Or like, that's a terrible idea. Like, that's totally okay with me, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I don't want a bunch of mini me's. I want like everybody that has a diverse perspective and brings diversity of thought into everything that we're talking about. Yeah, um, because I believe, and I'm so glad you think that way. Um, I, I believe in diversity of thought as much as I believe yeah. in diversity in general, right? Diversity yeah. of age and gender and religion and all of that. Right. Yep. Yeah, and I always say to people like everybody has nuggets of brilliance. Everybody, it might mm-hmm. look different than yours. Um, it actually might be polar to yours, but everybody has these nuggets of brilliance. And the other thing, um, and I'm so glad that you talk about diversity of thought. I saw this quote the other day that really resonated. And it said, you can tell a bully from a leader by how they respond to people who disagree with them. And I thought, word, because in the (laughs) workplace, you know, you're here, you are trying to come up with new, exciting things or, or more streamlined ways of doing business. And good leaders know that they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. But good leaders know that they've hired the people who do know, right? And so a leader is there to inspire and motivate and persuade the brilliant people that they hired to come up with the brilliant ideas that are going to be implemented. And the leader is the one that just, not just, but that holds everybody accountable to the timelines, to the goals, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's good leaders know that they don't know everything and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. That's why you hire people. <laughs> um, and so, and even industry, you know, there was a friend of mine who was hired in an, in the IT space um, who is not from the IT space, but she is a brilliant leader. She's a brilliant connector and networker. And so, no, she doesn't know how to code and she doesn't know anything about cybersecurity, but you know what? That's actually not her job. Her job is to motivate and and lead the people who do know all that stuff to get to that next level. And so so a lot of times with leaders and this also this is part of the mindfulness piece too. This is really the self-awareness piece. There's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes along with being a leader. And as we are experiencing and feeling the imposter syndrome, what we tend to want to do is resist it 
And how we resist it is by being like, well, I know everything and you don't know anything and you don't question me and you don't criticize my my decisions. And in that, really, you're you're proving how weak of a leader you are and you're succumbing to imposter syndrome. And that's not what leadership is. And so um, I'm sure I have just irritated a few of your of your folks that are watching this, but it's true. It's not about you knowing everything. You don't know everything nope. and, and that's okay. Um, but you know, people who do know the thing. And so having that diversity of thought is imperative and also having diversity of approach. So when I work with nonprofit organizations, I do a lot of um, nonprofit boards um, that, you know, kind of have to make all the decisions about what's going on, even if they have staff. What I notice is that, and again, going back to DISC, um, I'll do DISC assessments with, with boards and even leadership teams and companies. And I'm like, wow, so you guys are all the same style, which is why nothing is getting done and why you're like locking horns all the time. And so there's this one company whom I, I love dearly. I work with them a lot, but they're all, so for anyone in the DISC world, it's a bunch of C's, the conscientious, they're the very like detail oriented, it's engineers, very detail oriented kind of people. And they circle the drain all the time and nobody makes the decision. They're so busy picking apart the minutia because that's how they function, right? Like, which I'm not judging the, how they function, but they, they're all the same. So there's nobody on there going, wait a minute. Do we have a bigger vision? And then, okay, but now we need someone to actually drive the decision-making. And when you don't have that diversity, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. It's, mm -hmm. it's. I work with people specifically that I'm very different from um, and on purpose. So that one, they bring me back down to earth. Anyone out in the, in the world, I'm an I, like fully. Like I'm all up here in the clouds with all the great ideas and I need someone to be like, come here, Emily, and like, stop it. Um, not everything is unicorns and clouds. Um, and so, but I purposely seek out people that are not going to agree with me so that I can figure out what I'm not thinking about. Right. Um, and that's hard to do, especially I'm not trying to dive into the political sphere. But when we think about society right now, there's very little room for civil discourse. And when people disagree, especially politically, it becomes this, I'm right, you're wrong, you're stupid, cancel culture, blah, 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 instead of, wait a minute. So explain to me why you believe what you believe and like, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. And what am I not thinking about? What am I not considering? And then hopefully you can have the reciprocal conversation, but it works like that in the workplace too, with leadership and employees. And in those conversations that you're talking about, it's also like, I see where you're coming from. I still don't agree with you and that's okay. And we can, right. we cannot agree and be friends. We cannot agree and be coworkers. We cannot agree and, and be like, you know, whatever. Right. But yeah. It's not about us agreeing. It's about understanding your perspective and saying, totally understand it. Doesn't right. necessarily change my mind, but I understand where you're coming from. Right. Right. And why you feel the way that you feel. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, and and there's a discomfort there. And and honestly, being mindful is really uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially when you have to call yourself out on your own BS. Like, and let's face it, all of us have our own levels of like, <laughs> right. Um, 
I was joking about um, today's Ash Wednesday and and I was like, you know, instead of like giving up something for Lent, maybe I'll just take on a new vice for 40 days. Like and we're just sort of joking about like we're all squirrely and we're all imperfect and we're all like a bunch of weirdos in our different in different ways. But that's what makes us beautiful. And if we can be super mindful and compassionate in that, then really we can get along better in the workplace with everybody mm-hmm. um, and just go with the flow instead of trying to force people to be a certain way. Right. And one of the other comments you made, and this is something I talk about a lot um, as well, you know, you were talking about how people work and think and operate differently within the workplace. You mentioned that employee where they don't necessarily shout their ideas out in a meeting. One of the things that I often talk to job seekers about, because I work with job seekers and, you know, they were like, well, I have a lot of anxiety. How do I deal with that in the workplace? And ideally, I'd like to say to them, if you're in, you know, if you go to your manager and you sort of share what you're comfortable with and say, sometimes in a meeting, I need to get up and, and take a walk or I need to, you know, like if something is overwhelming me, sometimes I have to remove myself from the situation. Maybe you don't give them all the context, but you're giving them, here's what I need in this particular situation. So you're setting your tone and your boundary. And hopefully if they're a strong leader, they're going to be able to say, when you leave a room that like, okay, we're just going to continue. I'll fill them in later. Not a big deal. Right. And recognize that that is your way of helping yourself through whatever situation happens. Yeah. Um, And so that's, you know, that's what really we need from our leaders is like that empathy of when something happens, rather than being super judgmental about it, you know, saying this is what my employee needs. I don't need to understand why they need it. I just need to understand that this is the situation and this is what they need. Right. I love that you bring that up. There's actually um, a kind of a, an, an up and coming iteration of the work that I do. Um, and I'm focusing on neurodiversities in the workplace. And so, yes, there's like the general empathy sort of thing, but I kind of want to bring to light more specifically um, neurodiversities in the workplace. What does that mean and how do we work through it? And I, I say this to leaders, like if you have a friend that really hates busy places, would you suggest going to like a super busy bar on a Friday night? to like have a beer, like, no, you wouldn't do that because that would be disrespectful and stupid. Why do you treat the humans that you work with differently? Why are you holding people, everybody's human, and I'm not saying be best friends with the people that you work with, but like you've got to respect and honor the realities of how they function and what they need. So when you're talking about anxiety, And like full disclosure, I have ADHD and it was funny. I was diagnosed late. And when I got the diagnosis, I was like, oh my God, that explains so much. Like there's just so, I look back on things and think, oh, well, like, sure, that makes sense. And now I just embrace it. It is who I am. Um, I work on keeping my anxiety low, right? But it's there. And I'll say to people, I'm really sensitive to this sort of thing. So like in workshops, if you need to get up and pace back and forth in the bathroom, do your thing. If you need to get up and go to the bathroom, because like what we're talking about is too much, or there's too many words, or I'm too loud, because like that's the thing, um, go. It's fine. And I say to leaders, you have to give the same space for that. And let's just dive real quick into generational challenges. Um, Because honestly, so I'm going to, 
So I, I think I brought this up when in the last thing, when, when you were at that last um, talk that I gave, but like, we sort of make fun of millennials, right? We're like, oh, it's the everybody gets a trophy generation. And I'm like, yeah, who gave them the trophies? They didn't go out and buy their own trophies. They didn't go out and get their own medals. Their parents who are Gen Xers and young boomers are the ones that were like, here, have a trophy for just existing. So we have this generation who was raised to feel that they are equal, and important, and they are, they are important, right? And so, but then there's this like cynical backlash in the workplace and I'm like, all of y'all need to sit down. And these are the same people that, that are like, well, I only ate two meals a day for my whole life and I'm fine. And I'm like, you're really not fine. Like clearly you are not fine with your, I walk to school five miles in the snow uphill both ways. Like you're not fine. And you, there's trauma there and mm -hmm. you shouldn't expect other people to live the trauma that you did. And you need to be self-aware. Like this is where this comes from. Be mindful of why you're cynical. Be mindful of why you expect everybody to suffer like you did, like that sucks. And so when we're looking at the generations coming into the workforce right now, the expectations are way different than the people that sort of like formed the, um, the criteria, like the levels of expectation, mm -hmm. it's different. Like these people are not boomers. They're not, they're not like, oh my God, I have to, my parents survived the great depression and now I have to work and have this nest egg or else I'm going to starve to death. That's not that. And then there's the Gen Xers like me who are like, whatever, we're wicked cynical. We work hard, play hard. You know, the, we have these generations that are gentler. They're more self-aware. They are more patient with other people and different um different styles of people and there has to be room for that and how we do that is mindfulness is really understanding what people need and everybody is an individual it's not like i got a bunch of millennials they need this it's like no you've got mark and jennifer and cindy and whatever and they're all individual humans and you need to figure out what they need and so you know so there's that that mindfulness and it's hard so this is the thing where i find people falling down and I had a great conversation with someone that I coach the other day that he was like, this is really hard and it kind of sucks. And I'm like, totally. <laughs> like being a leader is not easy. Like the title's great. The pay's great. You probably get more vacation time and maybe you have access to like the vacation condo down in the key, whatever. But the reality is that leaders have to deal with the humans and humans are messy, period. Brilliant, amazing, creative, really funny messy. And in order to be a good leader and to effectively bring your teams together to produce well in the workforce, you have to be super mindful and it's work. It's work. And, um, but it's front loaded work, right? So it's like, take the time right now to get to know all your people and what makes them tick and what makes them scared and what totally turns them off in the workplace figure it out and adjust accordingly so that you can lead them and motivate them in the way they need to go do the stuff that you hired them to do. It's a lot of work in the front end, but it pays off. Well, and it's something you always talk about too, is empathy is not easy. Like it's not like it comes natural to us. No. That defensive, that defensive sort of, you know, calling myself out is what sort of comes natural to us. Those red and yellow chairs, as you mentioned earlier, 
right? That empathy takes work and practice and effort and conscious, like consistently thinking about it and being present in it. Yeah. It's exhausting. It can be exhausting, but it's just like anything else. It becomes muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you start catching yourself in a judgmental thought pattern, or you start catching yourself being disdainful or pitying someone, if you can stop it, and reframe your thought into something that's more like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I think? why am I judging on what am I basing this judgment? And then what am I not thinking about? And what story do I not know? And then opening up your brain space that way, the more you do that, the more it comes naturally. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, it's going to be really challenging and it's going to be oh, probably totally physically and mentally exhausting. It is. It is. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, I, it being empathetic is incredibly important for all relationship building, mm. um, and boundary setting, right? Like setting our own boundaries, keeping ourselves safe, um, and then being mindful of other people. And it is, it's exhausting. And which is why a lot of people are like, it's just easier to be empathetic. And, and I, I shouldn't laugh when I say that, but it's true. It's easier to look at the homeless person who's asking for change on the corner and be like, get a friggin' job. Okay. Or maybe if you didn't do drugs, you wouldn't be here. It's so much easier to be disdainful Mm. than to be like, how did you get here? Like what happened to you for you to get addicted in the first place? Like we don't go there. We just sit there and blame and shame in that red chair because we're uncomfortable. And so when we are uncomfortable around other people's realities, that's when we have this protective wall of disdain or apathy that comes up so that we no longer have to be bothered. It's the same thing with like giving advice when someone's telling you that like they're having a bad day or there's something going on or they hate their job. And you're like, well, why don't you just do this? The discomfort of knowing someone else is uncomfortable or sad or angry or in pain. We have a hard time. This is an unconscious thing, but we have an un- a hard time with their discomfort because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't like to be uncomfortable. So then we're just like, we're going to just give you advice. And if you don't take it, that's your problem. But now, okay, I've given you advice. I feel good now. Wash my hands of it. That's not empathy. That is, that's actually sympathy. That's a whole different thing, but, but that's not empathy, but that's what we, that's a lot of times what we go to because it makes us feel better. And that's why a lot of people, empathy is hard because it's uncomfortable. Mm. So obviously, you know, you weren't doing this part of your life forever, right? So what brought you to wanting to teach this to to organizations and leaders? Why did you get here? Insanity? No, Um, (laughs) I actually sort of stumbled into this. So I think part of it is my personality and uh, I'm kind of a natural teacher. Um, I'm fairly engaging um, and kind of dynamic in, in speaking situations, I make people laugh. Um, but what I noticed, and I was in nonprofit management for 15 years and man, I worked, I actually, I had been, but before I shifted into this, um, I'd been in the workforce for like 25 years and I had some really good managers, but man, I had some really bad managers, like, (laughs) like really bad, like one, for example, who had zero Mm self-control and, um, really, I believe had some significant mental health issues Mm -hmm. and they weren't medicated, 
but I distinctly remember we had a disagreement about something so inane. Like it was just, there was no reason to even be upset. She threw her cell phone at my head and, mm. she, and then it shattered on the wall behind me. And then she missed me. So she threw her keys at me. Like I have worked for really bad managers. I mean, that's an extreme, but I've also worked for people who were so disengaged. They couldn't tell you like when their employees' birthdays are. They couldn't tell you anything about what this employee wants to do in five years. Like they're here now. Where do they want to go? Um, and I just thought, God, there are so many crap people in positions of power and in positions of leadership. And then it occurred to me, you know what? These people have never actually been trained to lead because what happens is you're in a company and you're hired to do the thing and you do the thing like really, really well. Mm -hmm. And maybe you go get more training to get better at the thing that you were hired for. So like now you're like this expert master thing doer. And then somebody in higher leadership was like, you're very good at the thing and I'm going to promote you and you're going to be a manager. And so people are like, yay, title and money and woo. But then they realize like, wait, I, I'm good at the thing, but I'm not doing the thing anymore. I'm managing the people that do the thing, but I don't know how to manage the people that do the thing. And maybe they're doing the thing differently than I do. So now I'm going to micromanage because I'm really good at the thing. And I, like people are not trained how to lead. And so um, in realizing all of this, I thought, well, this is kind of dumb. And I just started like taking like little leadership. I would go to like little leadership conferences, local ones. And then um, colleagues of mine or partners, like community partners would be like, hey, can you come in and like talk about DISC or can you talk about whatever? And it it just sort of morphed naturally into this yeah. So in order to be a leader, you actually need to be much more humble and you need to put your employees ahead of you. And that's a hard shift for people, but it's because I, I saw so many. And when I was in positions of leadership, I felt like I didn't actually have a good mentor hmm. on how to do this. And so I just thought about like the people in my life that made me feel supported and how did they function? And can I bring some of that into the workplace? Awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I think what you're talking about is exactly what a lot of employees feel, right? They've had either really bad managers their whole career, they've had really good managers, or they've had a combination of both. Yep. And you sort of learn how to lead, quote unquote, by the people that have either inspired you or dissuaded you, right? Exactly. Uh, and to your point, yep. right? I mean, we often find, and I in HR, it was always like, we want to promote this person. And I'm like, why? And like, because they're best at the thing. And they're going to teach everybody how to do the thing really well. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't make them a qualified people leader. That makes them a really qualified senior thing doer, right? Like, right. you know, and I'm like, they don't even want to manage people because they enjoy doing the, the thing that you right. have them doing. Right. And so, you know, so that becomes really frustrating. And I, I talked to this woman, Lindsay Dowd, who focuses on that with the sales side, where a lot of sales leaders, they they oftentimes get promoted because they're the best sales leader and they want to replicate and make a bunch yeah. of mini sales leaders like them. Yeah, but then you get them in a position of power and they're like, I don't know how to do this. Right. <laughs> and then know? they don't know how to do this. And then they, a lot of times like, like piggybacking on that. So they're a master thing doer, right? And they're really good at the thing. And now they're supposed to teach other people how to do the thing. But if, especially if you're in sales, no, 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 no. This is me. I'm still selling. 
we're actually competing. I'm at, I don't want to teach you right. how I do the thing, but I have to somehow get you better than what you are. And there comes the imposter syndrome. And then with that, there comes a little bit of self-loathing. Like if we want to dive into the psychology of this and then it backfires, it backfires. And you've got people that are like, I hate all these people. I want to fire them. Like it really gets, it can mm -hmm. get really nasty. Um, when people who do not want to lead and do not know how to lead are put in positions where they have to. And that's very difficult. Yeah. So before we move on to a couple of other things, I wanted to see if you could provide um, one thing or example or process or way that leaders can be more mindful. So if you could give like a quick, you know, tip or two on leaders and, and the ways that they could start that process, if they're like, this doesn't sound like me and I need some help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So my first, my first thing, if a, if a leader is like, this doesn't sound like me, or this is too touchy feely, I need you to check in with yourself and, and why. So first of all, why does this not feel like you? And what's so wrong with touchy feely? You're hmm. dealing, you are a human being and you're dealing with other human beings who are at our core, emotional creatures, whether I don't care how stoic you are, um, how controlled you are. The reality is that everybody is emotional. And so, and that's okay. And we all have like different levels of how we express the emotions. Um, so the first thing is check in with yourself. Why are you resisting being mindful? Why are you resisting empathy? Do you understand what empathy actually is? It's not condoning or accepting things that you don't believe in. It's understanding and believing. So there's that first thing. The second thing is for people that are like, oh my God, this all sounds great, but like how? And really the how is forcing yourself to understand how you think what you think. There's a, um, there's a workshop that I do called Origins of Identity. And it's sort of that first step before we talk about bias and DE&I stuff. It's how did you come to believe the things that you believe? And how did you come to have the personality that you have aside from the innate factors, right? Where were you raised? What have your experiences been, et cetera, et cetera. So somebody who, you know, grew up in poverty and worked their way into the middle class is going to have a very different experience than someone who was born in the middle class and stayed there. Right. And so when we go to, 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 when we have these ideas about who people are and what they what they should and shouldn't do. If you can stop yourself in that process and recognize that you're judging and that you're, you are projecting your own experiences onto other people, that's the beginning of the work in being mindful. And then stopping and saying, well, I wonder why this person believes what they believe or why they function the way they do or whatever it might be. Right. Even down to like, I'm, I'm currently working with a client and in their, in their employee handbook, their hours are eight to five with a one hour lunch. And they're having a very hard time recruiting for a couple of positions. And I'm like, that's because your hours are stupid. <laughs> and like, like for me, um, that would be impossible. I have children. My children 
have to go to school. I'm responsible for getting them there. I can't be at work at eight o'clock in the morning when I don't have to drop my son off until 845. Like this doesn't work and there's no flexibility. So there's this mindlessness. And, and so when I said, tell explain to me about this. And they're like, well, it's always been like that. I'm like, that is the kiss of death. Stop with that's how it's always been. I'm like, okay, first of all, welcome to post COVID. Like, come on. And then secondly, it's not working for you. Obviously it's not working for you. So fix it. <laughs> right. I'm like, this is dumb. It's also like, like dress codes. So I'm probably going to piss off some people right now, but I have to, it's okay, let's do it. I know. <laughs> So, um, so I have been hired by this one company. Um, one of the things, and I'm doing some leadership stuff with them. Um, and one of the things I was asking about was their employee handbook and kind of a couple of things. And I don't know if your audience can like see my pretty little nose ring here. <laughs> and I got this pretty little tattoo. Um, in their employee handbook, there um they talk about no visible tattoos and no um no piercings other than earrings in women. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, what is this 1960? And I said, I just want to point out the irony that you have hired me as a consultant. And not only do I have visible tattoos, I have a nose ring. My hair is not a natural color. I've got it shaved on the sides. I'm like, but I'm coming in as a consultant and your whole office is looking at me like, I can't look like that. Like it is, I'm like, your stuff is antiquated and stupid and good luck hiring anybody younger than 45. <laughs> like good luck. And so there's a mindlessness in yeah. the, well, this is how we've always done it. I'm like, whose standards are you trying to like, what? It's just, it's insane, especially like in the tech world where like most of these folks, especially your hackers all have, like they're all funky and kind of crazy. Like there is just this ridiculousness that goes along with, that's how we've always done it. Sitting in this mindless space and not actually considering who are we trying to recruit? And then how do we get them in the door? And, um, and I'll tell you, it's not by having beer and ball pits in your office. It's actually having flexible schedules and professional development opportunities and things like that. Like if you want to get the younger people in the door, it's not romper room kids. They're all professionals. Right. And so it it's really being mindful of who do we want to come in the door? How do we get them here? How do we keep them? Once we get them, what do they need? What do we need from them? Are we hiring the right skill set? You know this, you do this all the time. And then once they're there, how do we keep them here? What do you need from us to stay here and continue being productive and awesome? Right. And that's where and that mindfulness requires, comes in. That requires digging in and being mindful. So I know there's other things on your website that you offer besides the disc and the um, five chairs. So, you know, round out for us, you know, what other things can you offer to your clients if they're looking to, to get in contact with you? So I do disc. Uh, I, everything disc and five behaviors, which kind of go together. And then mm -hmm. the five chairs is really just kind of a talk to get people thinking about how they are or are not mindful about their communication. And I offer um, a, a really in-depth workshop called the mindful leader practice, where we dive into the whole thing. It's very interactive. It's, it's difficult. It's good. It's like really, really good. And everyone who's been through it is like, wow. I never thought about it this way. And that's the kind of stuff I want to hear is I never thought about it like that. I'm like, that's right. And now you are. And so welcome to mindfulness, right? So like, this is where we're going. Um, and I do um, workshops on the origins of identity. 
I'm also working on some new stuff related to uh, neurodiversities in the workplace. I'm finding um, that there's a whole lot of misunderstanding in the world related to that. And I also work on stress management. So I do have, um, you know, organizational change management workshops that include stress management as a part of it. And so, um, but really everything I do is like, it's the human level of the workplace and how are we doing there? Are we understanding each other? If we're not understanding each other, how do we start to understand each other? Um, the five behaviors is all about building cohesive teams and it starts with trust and healthy conflict. And so how do we actually manage that piece? So those are the sorts of things that I offer um, that probably wasn't very clear to the people. Sorry about that. Um, and, um, but really, and I also do coaching. So for folks that want to shift into spaces of mindfulness and they're like, I don't know how to do this. And this is weird. Like it all sounds good on paper and this just sounds great, but like, how the hell do I do this? There's a, there's a piece of this that I do where I'm like, all right, let's talk about what the block is and what's the resistance and work through. So I, I do that stuff too. Okay. Um, that's great. And I will tag a link to your website where they can learn more about that oh, and you okay. and hopefully also hire you for speaking engagements because you're incredible. <laughs> um, Thank you. One of the ways I like to end the show. So my Angelou is my favorite poet. May she rest in peace. Um, she has this great quote that says, I learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Can you share an experience that sort of falls in line with that? Something that you remember feeling a particular way. You may not remember why or how or, you know, but you felt that way. Yeah. And actually, uh, it was a professor of mine from grad school who was intimidatingly brilliant and uh, published author, had this very interesting history. He uh, he was Cuban and he was one of the first groups of Cubans to go back to Cuba after the Bay of Pigs incident. So there's a whole lot of, of interesting experience there. But what I remember from him was he was supportive on every level. There was, I never felt stupid, right? And I was ignorant to so many things as I came into grad school <laughs> trying to like learn all this stuff and like doing these projects and whatever. And never ever did this gentleman who had all sorts of ridiculous education and accolades and whatever, never ever did I feel inferior or that I was wasting his time or that my ideas were dumb. And y'all, I mean, I had some dumb <laughs> ideas, but I never felt that way because the way he managed the students who, who he advised was in this place of, Tell me why it's important to you. Hmm. Tell me why you're thinking about this. Tell me how this is going to impact the world when you implement it. Tell me how this is going to make other people feel. And in that, I felt valued and important. And I felt um, appreciated. And I felt like I was a part of something bigger. And, and it was an amazing feeling. And it, with the stresses of grad school and like those of you who've been through it, like, no, you need that kind of support. So he, he always made us feel like we were good humans and we were necessary for the work. That's awesome. So where can people find you, Emily? What platforms are you on? 
Oh my gosh. Well, let's see. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm also on, I'm really not good at social media. You guys, like I don't go on Twitter <laughs> because then I go down the rabbit holes of like, it's just not good. I'm not, but I am on Facebook and I am on LinkedIn. Um, my company is Hampton Morash LLC. Um, and I'm really very approachable and fairly silly. So if you're out there watching this podcast and you're like, I want to do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. Like if you call me or you email me or whatever, uh, we're just going to chat and I'm not going to judge you and I'm going to find out where you are. And then I'm going to come to you in that place. Cause that's just what we do. Um, yes, but that's where you can find me. Awesome. Um, so thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest. Um, every me. episode, lead with empathy and act with kindness. Thank you. Thank you for listening to All People Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave a five star review. The work doesn't end here. If you want to keep the conversation going, find me on LinkedIn or Facebook, or visit my website, apeoplepartnerllc.com. Lead with empathy and act with kindness. Have a great day.